Hi everyone, this is Posty Posterson, and I'm back with another Super Deluxe Special Edition episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. I've been working on my recording setup a little bit, so let me know in the comments below if this sounds a little bit better. I've been trying to control some of the background noise. Um, crawl. <laughs> I just crawled into the tiny little closet area, much like Scooter used to do. In case you're new to these, uh, I usually help Scooter edit the show behind the scenes. But once in a while, I'll take a show that he's recently aired, and I'll add some music or some sound design to it. And we'll release that as a super deluxe special edition as one more way to say thanks to all of you who are supporting the podcast as patrons. I'm really excited about tonight's Super Deluxe. Uh, I really like it. I hope you do too. Let's hop in. Super Luxe Special Edition episode. I took a episode that recently aired a crossover episode that Scooter did, where he's giving a tour of Rome, and he's talking about the podcast that he he did the crossover with, and how they add really cool sound design to their show, uh, which I checked out, and it's definitely worth listening to the original. Um, but I was thinking, wonder if there's something else that. I could bring to the mix, we could make a third version of this uh, Rome tour. And recently I've been learning a lot of theory, playing with uh, orchestra, you know, sort of composing orchestra pieces, and I'm very, very early on at it. Uh, I'm still learning a lot, but I thought maybe I could bring that to the table and uh, we could have a night at the orchestra Well, Scooter stands on stage amongst the musicians giving a sort of tour of Rome. So tonight, for a Super Deluxe Special Edition, we're going to the orchestra. Uh, imagine yourself in a big hall with all of our fellow Sleep With Me listeners, scooters up on stage, and uh, an orchestra that sounds a bit like this. much slower and sleepier. We'll kind of score him in the background as he gives us this tour. As always, thank you all so much for supporting the show. I hope this Super Deluxe helps you get some sleep. And good night.
All right, everybody, this is the Scoots. We're taking a little bit of a virtual journey, kind of a virtual two-step journey tonight, because this is a crossover episode with the Bittersweet Life podcast, uh, which you can find at thebittersweetlife.net or in your podcast app of choice. Just type in the search uh, The Bittersweet Life. And I'm really looking forward to this episode, but first I wanted to tell you about the Bittersweet Life, uh, and I'm just going to use their about page. Uh, it's it's a wonderful show made by two wonderful people. And the Bittersweet Life began over five years ago in Rome, where we're going to go tonight, uh, when two childhood friends from Seattle reconnected in Italy and decided to explore uh, the highs and the lows of uh, being an expat. But the show has grown into something larger than that, an examination of life uh, where they talk about it. It's just a really, really powerful podcast. Uh, inspiring a worldwide community of seekers to consider a less than ordinary path for themselves. Uh, the hosts have two very different perspectives on the bitter dolce vita uh, my friend and host uh, Katie Sewell uh, lived for a year a year in Rome. Uh, wasn't easy, uh, and decided to leave a successful public radio career uh, to to move abroad. And since then, she's moved back to Seattle and uh, kind of try, like uh, kind of like you know getting used to going back, being expat, then being a repat. Uh, I don't know if that's what you call it, repatriation and trying to make make sense of all that. And then Tiffany Parks uh, moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay and make it work no matter what. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate to this, whether you, you've lived abroad or you've thought about living abroad or you're just a person uh, because uh, she's overcome loneliness, joblessness, uh, trying to figure out uh, becoming an Italian citizen, motherhood... And Tiffany also regularly shares her deep knowledge of Roman history and art. Uh, so uh, just like this episode, you could get, you're going to get a few uh, trips uh, to Rome in here. They also interview world-class authors and thinkers, uh, artists, uh, journalists. So just go through their feed. Uh, you're going to be there's just so much uh, variety, all connected by this kind of experience of, of seeking and curiosity. Uh, new episodes are released uh, every Monday, focused on a specific theme, and then on Thursdays they've been putting out a mini-episode that kind of takes you out on Rome or the streets of Seattle. Uh, the conversations are always uh, candid and funny, not crafted. They're just uh, two friends talking. So whether you're, like I said, whether you're living overseas or not, you never have, you're just wondering about it, or you just, you know, like the experience, uh, uh, subscribe to the show. You could start all the way at the beginning, or you could start at the current episodes and the beginning. You could binge the show. Uh, Katie Sewell is a radio producer and host. Uh, when she moved to Rome, it was 11, after 11 years working at KUOW Public Radio, NPR C Seattle. Uh, where she was a senior producer and uh, host on uh, weekday. Uh, she's interned at Radio Lab, toured with Prairie Home Companion, did a series called The Radio Retrospective about radio's golden age, which you probably heard on your local radio station. 
Uh, she's also a writer, a podcast consultant, and still working in public radio. You may hear her on the radio uh, soon. Uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you may have even heard her on the radio recently. Tiffany Parks is a writer. She heads the uh, editorial department at Where Rome Magazine. The Eternal City is her muse. She just published an art mystery for young readers set in Rome called Midnight in the Piazza. And in her spare time, she shares her passion for Rome's history and art with tourists and private walking tours. Uh, if you're interested, you could go to thebittersweetlife.net to find out more about Katie or Tiffany. You can also check out Tiffany's blog, The Pines of Rome. So without further ado, we're going to join the bittersweet life, but you should really also listen to the virtual walking tour of Rome in their feed because it'll have the sound effects and the sound design that I'm not able to provide in a sleep podcast. And then if I have time at the end, I'll kind of uh, muse on my thoughts about uh, my one visit to Rome, a wonderful visit. But this visit was really made me uh, thirst for Rome. Uh, so the episode does start off with uh, some really nice sound effects. So I really think you should listen. There's bells, there's birds, and there's the city sounds of Rome. And then uh, Katie says, hey, welcome to Rome. This is A Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Uh, I'm Katie. And hey, I'm, I'm, I'm also speaking for Tiffany. I'm Tiffany here. Yeah, and I'm Katie. I'm in Seattle. Tiffany is currently in her apartment on the outskirts of Rome. But today we're going on a journey. We're going to go on a virtual walking tour of Rome. That's right, Katie. We're going to go. Uh, we've both been thinking about this a lot, doing this uh, over this past uh, few months, uh, which is to explore Rome because we can't do it together right now. That's right, Tiffany. So through the magic of radio, we're going to go on a journey together through the streets of Rome. And Tiffany, I was thinking, since we're creating this journey as if it just has sprung from the well of your historical knowledge and my mixing of sound effects, we could set it at any time you want. Uh, for instance, we could set it at Christmas time with the beautiful music and sounds of Rome and the holidays. Yeah, Katie, uh, Christmas time is a magical time to be in Rome, but I think we should set it right now, uh, or just a few months ago in April. Because April is such a beautiful time to be in Rome, particularly because of the wisteria, one of the most, which is one of the most beautiful flowers you could see around Rome, and they always bloom in April. Oh boy, I could smell that wisteria, that is nice. All right, Tiffany, so should we start in the subway tunnel with the sounds of the subway, maybe a busker in the background? No, 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 no. Let's start right in the center of it all. Let's start at the Pantheon. So here we are right outside the Pantheon. Light crowds, a beautiful day. There's nothing Really nothing like seeing the Pantheon, especially when you see it for the first time. Whenever I take people on a tour, I always walk around the corner down a side street and approach the Pantheon from a sort of blind angle, so it just looms in front of you. 
because it's really quite big. As you can see, Katie, there it is right in front of you. It is a note from Scoots. I, I do remember when I saw the Pantheon. This was it was one of it is one of those experiences, uh, uh, just like they're talking about. I couldn't believe it either. Uh, relatively, there it is, looming above us, uh, above the square we're standing in, which is relatively small compared to this enormous towering monument. And of course, the Pantheon, as many people know, is the best preserved ancient monument in the world. It was completed in 126 AD. Wow. So we're really coming up at 1900 years. Of course, there were other versions of the Pantheon, at least two that sat at the same spot, uh, but they uh, went to the big, the big Pantheon, cloud, big monuments in the sky. In fact, uh, Katie, could you read that uh, inscription there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It reads, M. Agrippa, L.C. Cos Tertertum Fisse, 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 which basically, Katie, or Tiffany can actually pronounce things better, much better than Scoots, but it means Marcus Agrippa, the son of Lucius, during his third time as council, he made this. Of course, Mar Marcus Agrippa was not uh, present in 126. When this was built, he built the first pantheon back in the time of Augustus, around 17 BC. It was Emperor, Emperor Hadrian who built this version, the permanent version of the Pantheon, but he decided to maintain Agrippa's inscription out of respect and to honor him. Well, it's a church now, Katie, but what was it originally? Yeah, well, originally the word Pantheon, in fact, means a temple to all gods. So it was a temple to multiple gods, and it's unusual because it's completely round, of course. But you know what? Let's step inside. Now these doors right here in front of you, these are the original bronze doors of the Pantheon. And it's great because you could sort of just reach out and touch them as you walk in and feel the history within them. And then we could stop and look up at the oculus. This is what people really love about the Pantheon. I mean, just look at the ceiling, the dome and the ceiling all together. I mean, the ceiling is coffered and it's made of concrete, which is one of the great Roman inventions. And the coffered ceiling is so iconic that it's been copied so many times in so many places. Most famously, for those of you in the U.S., uh, it's used in the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., which has a copy of the ceiling of the Pantheon. But of course, here, the oculus is open, the central hole. I mean, it's just a big open hole, and the light shines down. And you could see, and I don't know if you could tell, but right now, not only is it shining down, it's shining straight out of the front doors. And that's because the day we're taping this is actually, I don't know if you knew this, Katie, but the day we're taping this, just a few days before we put this episode out originally, was April 21st. April 21st is Rome's birthday. Did you know that? 
I did, Tiffany. Two two thousand seven hundred and seventy-three years old. You got it. Uh, wow. Exactly right, Katie. You really know your your Roman. You really know your Roman history. Uh, and the interesting thing is, if you go to the Pantheon in this date, which I always try to do, and you get to be here with us. Uh, yeah, right here now. Seeing the sun shine down through the oculus and straight out the doors on this particular day, as long as you go in the middle of the day, just like you're with us right here, right now. So, Tiffany, uh, is, is that why the birthday is this day, or is it just a coincidence? Uh, you know what, Katie? Uh, some people do think that they designed the Pantheon in such a way that that would happen on the birthday of the city. Wow, that's amazing. Totally, I know, isn't it? It really is one of the most incredible buildings. In fact, if you only had 15 minutes to spend in Rome, that would be the one building I would encourage everyone to see. Katie, I totally agree. Very, very true. It's just as beautiful from the outside as from the inside. I mean, I feel like it's one of those places, uh, do go in if you can. But even if you can't go in, it's something. It's worth it just to see it from the outside. Just because when you see something so old, so perfectly maintained... Uh, another thing is, as you mentioned, it's a church now. And that's why one of the reasons why it's in such great condition. Uh, is because it was converted to a church in the darkest of the dark ages. I think in 609 A.D., uh, this was a time when the temples were being uh, dismantled for their materials in Rome. And so, because it was a church at that time, it was sort of off-limits and maintained. I mean, I could go on about this for the whole length of our tour, just talking about the Pantheon, but we don't have time for that. Uh, but I will say, as you watch the light come out and you look at the open doors and the oculus, if you look to the left, you can see through a plate of glass Raphael's uh, place of rest. Uh, and Raphael, of course, uh, went to the big, big, you know, big, big, uh, big, big, you know, about 500 years ago. Yes, yes, you're right. Uh, one of the things I also love about the Patreon, one of the things I also love about the Pantheon, uh, Tiffany, is that uh, anybody who's been there or anyone who's planning to or all of you with us right now, or you that's with us right now, so many artists, so many architects, so many thinkers and notable people all around the world have stood in front of this building and been inspired by it. It really does feel to me like it has one, it's one of those links back through time for everyone. How many of us have stood in front of that building and been inspired in some way? It's got to be countless numbers of people. Uh, that's true, Katie. Oof, uh, well, I feel like uh, we should get moving before I get too moved, if you know what I mean. Now, uh, I hear you, Katie. How about some refreshment? Should we stop uh, for a cafe espresso? 
uh, that would be great. Well, you can co coincidentally, as luck would have it, one of Rome's very best cafes is just around the corner. Let's go see if it's open. Okay, the, yeah, this is. It's Cafe San Estacio in the Piazza of the same name. I mean, of course, you know, some super niche coffee fans will have their own favorites, but I would say that the majority of Romans consider this cafe or Taza de Oro to have the best coffee in Rome. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker or a coffee expert myself, so I can't make that judgment. Uh, I can tell you just what most people say. I do think the smell and the sound effects, uh, Katie, that you're adding to this place, it feels like we're really there. And when you walk inside, there's the smell of coffee. It's pretty incredible. You can see everyone standing up at the counter. I mean, there's some tables outside for the tourists, but the Italians who come here, it's a lot of business people who come here during the day on their coffee break. The parliament is just around the corner, so sometimes you'll see famous Italian politicians in here. They always stand up at the bar to get coffee. And as you can see and even hear, it's packed. Uh, you really, it's not easy to get to the front of the line. You kind of got to work your way up there. But despite its fame, the coffee is still well-priced and the espresso is about a euro. So they haven't take adva taken advantage of their fame. Thanks, Tiffany. As a tourist here, standing at the edge of this cafe, I kind of wonder what the etiquette is. Should I just barge in, or should I let it be a local place? Well, Katie, you could let it be a local place. It has become a bit touristy, but people who go there, you know, they expect to encounter tourists, so they're prepared. Just make sure you pay first, uh, because many people, so many people come in. They prefer you pay at the cash register on the right and then take your receipt up to the bar. And obviously work your way to the front, but wait your turn. Uh, but people in Italy, they don't really make organized lines. So just kind of look around, see who was there before you. And when you feel like those people have been served, put your arm forward to get your coffee. If I get, Tiffany, if I want to be legit, do I have to stand at the bar? Uh, not necessarily. Sometimes you just want to sit down and have your coffee, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm a tea drinker, uh, so of course I prefer sitting down, but you can't really have a pot of tea standing at the bar of a cafe. It's the worst. And it's not easy as a tea drinker when my husband and I go to the cafe together because he gets an espresso or a cappuccino, and I get a pot of tea. Uh, like uh, this uh, little tiny uh, pot, pot, pot of tea, like a cup and a half. But they always, without fail, they make my husband's coffee before they make the tea. And I'm like, don't you understand that the tea has to steep for a couple minutes uh, while he's just going to down his in like one or two sips? So they make his coffee, they set it down, he downs his coffee. Meanwhile, they're making the tea. And, uh, you know, I have to sit there for five minutes while it steeps. So, uh, you know, you don't drink a tea quickly. It's a process. It's slow. So uh, normally I just get water now. Well, Tiffany, I guess that's one way you're at odds with this country. Let's move on to a place where you're not at odds, a place that's extremely beautiful. 
and another one of the top hits. Okay, I guess you mean Piazza Navona. Yeah, it's just around the corner. Piazza Navona. Wow, Tiffany. Yeah, I know. You've been here before, Katie, but every time we come here, you can't help but be a little bit blown away by it. Even myself, after living here for 15 years, whenever I walk into Piazza Navona, I always take a minute to look around because it's such a, a spectacle. It's spectacular. It really is, Tiffany. It's, it's a person who doesn't take as many photos and who always wants to tape things all the time. I do. It doesn't really, uh, like with the magic of, let's put a little bit of, I do have some sounds of Piazza Navona at night. So can we pretend, even though it's the middle of the day, that the sun's setting and I'll play the sounds of the Piazza at night? Okay, listen to the chattering and the bustle. And now the sun is back up again. Uh, Katie, I was just curious. Why did why did it have to be at night? Could we have just like uh, could we have pretended it was a daytime clip? I don't I don't know, Tiffany. It just just for me, it felt like it was at night. Uh, but you know, any any of the listeners could let us know. Well, now it's day again. That was a fast night. And Katie, look, it's noon on the dot uh, because we can hear the bells of. St. Agnes de Agone. Uh, now, it's kind of hard uh, to know where to look when you're first in this piazza because there's so much going on, so many beautiful things. Probably what's going to get your attention the most is the Central Fountain by Bernini. Gian Lorenzo Bernini, the famous sculptor, sculptor and architect. Uh, and there's a great story behind this fountain because the Pope at the time was Pope Innocent X. And Innocent X came on the heels of Pope Urban VIII. Uh, and Urban uh, had been not only Bernini's patron and champion, but a close friend of his. So he had gotten all the amazing projects and commissions throughout uh, Urban VIII's uh, papacy. Uh, and he was just a favorite throughout the whole city. So when Innocent took over, you know, he was a rival of the previous pope. So he didn't want to work with anyone the pope had worked with. So Bernini was suddenly out of fashion. Instead, he was working with a couple different art architects, uh, including uh, Francesco Borromini, who's one of my favorite architects, a great rival of Bernini. So suddenly, Borromini gets to shine. And in fact, the central church you could see right here, the towering, gorgeous Baroque church is by Francesco Borromini. It's called uh, St. Agnes de Agone, but Pope Innocent decided he wanted to build a monumental fountain in this square, particularly because where he is where he lived. You could see this pa that palace uh, right over there, the big white palace with the Brazilian flag in front of it. That was Pope Innocent X's palace. So he wanted this square to be the most beautiful one in the city because that was where he lived. So he's having the church built, but he also wants to build this beautiful fountain. And now he's sent out not exactly commissions, but notices to the great artists of the time to submit their ideas and designs for the new fountain. And then he would select the one he preferred. Uh, he, on purpose, did not invite Bernini to submit his ideas, but there was a family member of his who knew what was going on who loved Bernini's work. 
So he convinced Bernini to make a model of the fountain anyway, and they put it in the palace in a place where the Pope would not be able to miss it. Uh, so when Pope Innocent saw the model of what Bernini had projected for the fountain, he was completely gobsmacked by it, and he fell in love. And he was quoted by a contemporary historian as saying, He who desires not to use Bernini's designs must take care not to see them. Uh, they were so beautiful and so incredible, he could not resist using the artist uh, that he did not want to work with, so, so he did it anyway. And Bernini designed the fountains, uh, fountain of the four rivers with four enormous river gods. We have the god of the Nile, the god of the Ganges, the god of the Rio de Plata, and the god of the Danube, all decorated with different flora and fauna objects from their parts of the world. Uh, because each represent the four corners of the globe. And of course, the obelisk in the center, which is the ancient Roman obelisk brought from Egypt. Wasn't there a rumor that all the gods are looking away from the church? Well, there's one god, uh, thanks Katie, the, Rio, the god of the Rio de Plata, a, a, a river personification who's looking towards the church with his hand cowering. But yeah, people say they were working on these projects, uh, the rivals Bernini and Borromini, at the same time, and Bernini was trying to uh, poke some fun at Borromini. Uh, so he pretended the figure was kind of cowering at the church, uh, or wondering you know, if the church was structurally sound. But the truth of the matter is the fountain was made in 1651 and the church didn't even start construction until 1652. And Borromini wasn't named head architect until 1653. So that's a highly, highly unlikely story. I do love stories like that, uh, though they're not true. I do like them, that's one I can debunk. The reason the square has such an unusual shape, it's a long oval shape, it's curved on the north end and flat on the south end, is because this site was once an ancient stadium for Olympic-style track and field. There would have been stone columns all the way around and arches, and there would have been seating, stone seating, similar to what they had at Circus Maximus. This is like a miniature version of Circus Maximus. Uh, just a smaller, but over the years in the Middle Ages, uh, much of the marble was taken out, taken out and people used their homes to build it with it. And that's one of my favorite things about Rome is how you could see the passage of time in one building or one site. Uh, you could see what it looked like in ancient times, even though instead of seeing a racetrack, you're seeing the facades of homes you could still see the shape of the racetrack, and that's one of the things I love about Rome. You're right, Tiffany, it's amazing. Okay, so let's go down this side street to probably one of the loveliest churches on Rome, uh, especially from the outside. Yeah, maybe we should uh, think about uh, humming as we walk. Uh, but this is, yeah, this is the uh, Via della Pace, the end of the street. Well, I don't have to tell you, Katie, what's in front of you. It's an amazing church, Tiffany, but I've never been able to get into it, to be honest. Yeah, this is a San Santa Maria della Pace. This church used to be only open on Saturday mornings, 
Then they changed it to be open on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings. But every time I've gone here recently, uh, you know, before a lot of the changes, it was always uh, open. So I don't know if they expanded the hours, uh, which would be great. Uh, there are some frescoes in here that were painted by Raphael in uh, 1514, the Sibyls. And the most interesting thing about them is how uh, similar they are to Michelangelo's Sibyls in the Sistine Chapel, which would have been completed just two years earlier. What I really love about the church is the facade. It's not as old as the church itself. The church was built in the 1400s, but the facade is from the 1660s. It was designed by Pietro de Cortona, another great Baroque architect, a contemporary of Bernini and Borromini. And I just love it because it has this semicircular porch, I guess you'd call it, with these beautiful columns in front. And what I love about the columns is instead of making them perfectly symmetrical as they go across the semicircle, he moved the two on the right closer to each other and the two on the left closer to each other. So it creates this unexpected element, which is really what the Baroque is all about. Unexpected, theatrical, bizarre elements that make something even more beautiful. I don't know if you know this, but the origin of the word Baroque it comes from the word for an Italian teardrop-shaped pearl, which now I can't think, I can't remember if it's a Baroque or Barocca, but it's a teardrop-shaped pearl. So the idea of being a pearl, a perfect pearl, would mean it would be perfectly spherical. And when you think of the Renaissance as being perfection, right, it's all about symmetry and perfection, where the teardrop-shaped pearl is imperfect. And it's exactly that imperfection that makes it so beautiful. So that's kind of the Baroque in a nutshell. And he really designed this on purpose to look like a theatrical set, like a piece of art you're participating in and not just looking at. So if we go to the left, that doorway over there, that door, doorway is the Chiostro del Bramante, uh, and we can look in there. That's a great idea, Tiffany. Let's do it. Uh, they have art exhibits in this space, uh, which are great, but I always suggest people check it out. The art exhibits could be a little bit expensive, uh, but it's a really great exposition play, exhi exhibition place. But you can visit the cloister for free. You don't have to. You'll see a ticket booth on your left when you walk in. But you don't have to buy a ticket unless you want to go to the exhibit. You could go look at the cloister for free if you want. So just walk past the ticket desk and, yeah, I mean, uh, stepping in here, you really feel like you're going through a shift back in time. The facade outside the church is Baroque, but this cloister is really true Renaissance in all of its symmetrical perfection. Uh, the cloister is perfectly square. It has two rows of porticos with columns. Uh, this is by Donato Bramante, who is one of the great Renaissance architects to work in Rome. He wasn't from Rome. He was from Urbino, where Raphael was from. And I talked a little bit about uh, a different one on one of our mini-episodes mini called uh, Tempietto, uh, but I can't remember off the top of my head which episode that was. Uh, it was one of the first ones we ever did, so you should go back and check that episode about uh, Bramante out. 
But this cloister was built about 1500, and it was his first work in Rome. And it's considered the apex of high Roman Renaissance architecture. There's also a cafe on the upper floor. It's one of the most romantic cafes in Rome. Uh, because you're just in the middle of this little cloister. And the seats, if you look up there, you can see little seats that go all around the edge of the upper level. And so you could just look down into the courtyard and you could look up above because it's open. There's no roof on top. Uh, and you could look up into the buildings around you and just sit on these ancient seats that are built into the side of the cloister. It's just totally romantic and cozy and I love it. Tiffany, I, I can't believe I've never been here before. I can't believe you haven't either, Katie. Yeah, no, I never have. It's never been opened, at least that I could tell. Yeah, I would say you maybe need to look closer or something, because the cloister's almost always open, but they didn't have exhibits here. The church back when you lived in Rome was almost always closed, but the cloister's always open, but it's a different door. Well, I'm glad we're here today. This is great. Uh, but it's getting close uh, to, uh, like, uh, like uh, L-U-N-C-H. Should we stop somewhere? Yeah, let's head down uh, Via della Anima, uh, which is a parallel of the street we were on, Via della Pace, and that'll bring us to Piazza Navona. Uh, but right before we go into Piazza Navona, there's uh, Piazza de, de Pasquino. Uh, so here's Pasquino, uh, kind of an unimpressive statue, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just one of those torso statues, uh, like it doesn't have anything else, uh, not much left on it. Yeah, it's got, a, it has a, like a head and a body, yeah, and it's, it's, uh, Pasquino was a tailor uh, who lived in the area, who was always coming up with these really f interesting, funny quips about people in power. This was the 1500s, and after he went on to the big farm, uh, the statue was discovered, and supposedly nobody knows who it was. It was a Greek work uh, that decorated that uh, uh, stadium uh, where the Piazza Navona is, uh, but people say it could have been Menelaus, who was a Greek figure. Uh, and it was discovered and unearthed in, like, a lot of works of public art back in those days, especially ones that were a little bit damaged like this one. They just put them up against a wall or a street corner and left them there, and they just stuck around. And that was the case for Pasquino. Uh, and as you can see, they put a pedestal on, and then around 1550, people started putting these little notes. They put a toga on him first, uh, or a cloth that looked like a toga, and then started pinning pithy remarks onto him uh, as if he, they called him Pasquino because there was still the memory of the tailor uh, who during had done this during his life and now was at the big farm. And they said, okay, this statue is going to take over for Pasquino. So they would stick little comments onto it and the idea was there was no freedom, you know, it wasn't easy to express yourself. No press, no speech, no Twitter. So if they wanted to talk about the Pope or the Prefect or whoever was in charge, uh, you could do this anonymously. So you could, you know, have your voice anonymously broadcast. Uh, it was like uh, the Renaissance's answer to Twitter. 
the idea was that you had to be very clever, though. You had to come up with something funny so that it would last and other people wouldn't take it down. And so posterity has recorded a lot of these uh, uh, Pasquinades. Uh, Pasquinade is the name of the piece of commentary taped to Pasquino. Pasquino, uh, the most famous one is when the boat went up about Urban VIII, uh, uh, who had Bernini take the bronze uh, that was decorating the Pantheon, some of the bronze, to take it down. And we're talking ancient bronze that was there since the Pantheon was built uh, to build the Baldacchino, which was an enormous altar covering uh, in St. Peter's. And they said uh, about Urban uh, that this doesn't make sense unless you know Urban's family name was Barberini. And uh, so the Vasconade in Latin said uh, quad non Fercunta Barberi, Ferunta Barberini, which kind of like hinted that, uh, you know, while invaders didn't do that uh, to the temple, Barberini did. So there's dozens of these that have survived history. That's one of the most famous ones, but you can't pass by without taking a look and seeing what's on there. But they try not to let people put it on the statue anymore, but people still do. Tiffany, do you think you would ever do that? I don't think... I don't, I, I, thanks, Katie. I, don't, I feel like I'm not Roman enough, if that makes sense. Uh, usually they're written in Roman dialect, uh, sometimes Latin. They usually rhyme. They're clever. I don't know if I understand enough about Italian politics to make an accurate enough comment and uh, make it sound good enough. Uh, Okay, so where should we go from now? Well, let's head to Campo dei Fiori. We could pick something up or on our way there. It's not far. What if we unfold our magical sleepy wings and fly there? Or we could hop on our pillowy segways and uh, we could take them out. They're parked right here. And then uh, we fly... And coast over to Campo de Fiore, one of the loudest places in Rome, in my opinion. And you could hear it on the real show because it's a piazza that doesn't sleep, like a 24-hour square. There's a market early in the morning, and the market sellers just show up to get everything set up, and the market goes till about 3 p.m. Then they start breaking it down. Uh, and then it's not about till 6 p.m. that everybody's gone and cleaned up because uh, it takes a while. They clean up everything. And then it's time for ap- aperitivo hour, which is my favorite time to be in Campo de Fiore because I love to sit here and people watch during aperitivo. And there's some restaurants uh, here for dinner, although I think it's more fun at aperitivo time. After dinner, it gets to be more of a... Uh, like a singles place, uh, young people, young students, uh, especially uh, foreign students come to get rowdy, uh, you know, hanging out and being a young person. That's right, Tiffany. I would say a note to anyone traveling uh, is uh, don't stay directly on the Campo de Fiori uh, because it'll be loud until very late at night. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree, Katie. It's like, don't stay on the piazza. You could stay nearby, but uh, this is where everybody goes even when the bars close. So the noise will go in until about 3 a.m. at least uh, when the street sweepers come to clean up again. 
Now, before we uh, leave here, who's this uh, standing here in the middle? They look a little bit frowny. Who in, Who is that? Oh, that's Giordano Bruno, a Dominican friar, also a scientist and astronomist and philosopher who was way ahead of their time. He was living in the 1500s, so we're talking pre-Galileo. I mean, Galileo was alive but hadn't yet started sharing everything. And Bruno uh, believed in the heliocentric universe, infinite number of other suns with planets, and that those planets uh, have life on them. And he kind of recognized the sun, uh, but also that it was one among many suns, and uh, they didn't really like that. So they, you know, they, uh, they told him, no, no, no. And, it, yeah, he had to, like, uh, lie low. And eventually they didn't believe, they did not believe in his teaching strongly. Well, I feel like the statue carries the grandeur and the heaviness of that. Uh, yeah, eventually at the end of the 20th century, the church said, here's a statue, because uh, we didn't agree with your teachings that turned out to be factual. So I guess uh, post later amends. Oh, geez, that's too bad. Well, so how should we end this tour? I mean, I feel like uh, that's the thing with Rome. We could go on and on and on. Uh, it's just like endless things to see almost. Well, you're right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't stop. We could end here, but you know a place where we could go is Ponte Sisto. Okay, yeah, let's go one more place to lighten it up. We can't just de deal with the uh, science uh, in Giordano Bruno. Okay, well, if we go down this street, it'll lead us straight to, we're going to Piazza Farnese, another gorgeous piazza. And then we'll head down Via Giulia, which is a beautiful, grand, straight street, so long and wide and straight for the time it was built. It was built by Pope Julius II. That's why it's called Via Giulia. Uh, in 1506 is another alternative route to get to, from that part of the city uh, Trastevere to get to the Vatican because they were always trying to figure out how do we get how do we move people during uh, the holy year uh, because so many pilgrims would come to the city and you'd have all these uh, crooked little streets and so there'd be a lot of congestion so sometimes they would just build streets for the purpose of getting people to the Vatican. Okay, can we talk about this? Uh, uh, Tiffany, can I talk to you about this uh, this fountain here on Via Giulia? It's, uh, I feel like uh, you like this statue. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I know it's like quite an interesting statue uh, that I have strong feelings about. Uh, yeah, I know, Katie, you and Derek strongly dislike it. Yeah, it's the face of a, a person, and water's spewing out his mouth. Uh, uh, but because it's warm here, the the water's like algae. So it looks like a person uh, uh, who's like spraying green water, which is nothing like what that I want to see. Yeah, that's true. It's a... Uh, you're, you're right, uh, you're right, Katie, but it's called a mascarone fountain because it looks like a big mask. It was originally a drain cover. And a lot of times in ancient Rome, they would create decorative drain covers with the face of a person, and they would have a big wide mouth where the water would go out. Uh, 
that's what the Boca della Verte is, a very famous large drain cover. But yeah, this is a fountain. And they took the drain cover, the mask, the mascarone, and turned it into a fountain. But yeah, I, don't, I know you dislike it. I don't particularly love it. Uh, but yeah, it kind of looks like he's spray. Why would you want to spray green water on anybody? Yeah, he looks like someone that uh, like has his tummy t troubles uh, with a big beard. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, so here we are at the end of Via Giulia. And uh, the Ponte Sisto con connects uh, Trasverde to uh, the center of the city. And it's a bridge I used to take every day, a footbridge. So you can't drive across it. And I'm sure you did as well, because when you cross, you're always cro crossing this bridge. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if you could hear it yet in the sound effects, but your favorite accordion player is always there. I can hear her playing now. Oh yeah, there look, there she is in her wide-brimmed hat. Uh, and this bridge is really great. It's really old. Uh, it was built by Pope Sixtus IV in uh, 1480, and it was a way to relieve, to help. It was an alternate cr crossing of the Tiber. Before that, there was only one place to cross the Tiber up until 1480, and that was the Ponte Sant'Angelo. All the other bridges had not been operating anymore, so they built this bridge just in time for the whole year 1500. And you actually can get a great view of St. Peter's from this bridge, and there's always people here. It's like a Campo de Fiore, that it's always full of life and people around, musicians and young people meeting up. Uh, and to me, it's like my early years in Rome are really concentrated in this bridge because I crossed it so often and I just love it. You're right, Tiffany. It's a bridge that seems like beginnings and endings to me. For me, our last episode, the one we did when I was leaving Rome back in the day, an episode called Goodbye, way back in season one, it ends with us both on this bridge. That's right, Katie. Yeah, so it seems fitting we end our virtual walking tour of Rome, standing on this bridge, uh, leaving it behind for now, but not forever. Yes, yeah, so we'll be back. Uh, well, thank you so much for that really fun tour, Tiffany. It's fun to get out for a little while. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure, Katie. Thank you for all the sound design and making us feel like we're really there. Well, thanks for all your research and knowledge, Tiffany. Well, I love taking people around Rome, especially this part of the city. There's just so many treasures I enjoy. There's just so many treasures I adore. It's really my pleasure. And everybody listening should take note. If you're planning a trip to Italy, when it's all over, Tiffany does give tours in person, walking tours of Rome on various lengths and topics. Uh... Like for me, when I first went to Rome, she took me on one of the tours along with her groups of people and let me join, and it changed the way I moved about the city from there on out. Oh, thanks, Katie. I don't know, you really helped me understand uh, what was going on if I wouldn't have, like, if I wouldn't have figured that out just wandering around, uh, hoping to glean information from here and there. So it's a great opening way to get to know the city when you get back there. Thanks for that, Katie.
Yeah, we'll check our show notes uh, for information on how to get into uh, or our website for how to get in touch with Tiffany. Yeah, so there'll be information on our website about how to get in touch with Tiffany, Bittersweet Life, or P- Tiffany-Parks.com. And before we go, I just want to remind you, we'd love, we're doing a show soon about collections, uh, so definitely check it out. You could always send us a voicemail or an email at bittersweetlife@mail.com. Uh, great, Katie. Yeah, Tiffany, and until next time... Katie, I want you to remember, Rome is waiting for you. You're right. It is the eternal city, so at least we know where, if not when. And until next time, this is a bittersweet life. I'm Katie Sewell, and I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Goodbye. Uh, and thanks. Yeah, everybody, I hope you dream of floating through Rome. Uh, good night.